You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me as always is my co-host and editor-in-chief of San Jose Hockey Now, Shang Pang. Before we get into this, essentially, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different. We um, don't have much Sharks to cover, essentially, folks. Uh, basically, the way it works is uh, the boys still have a whole week off. Uh, some of the NHL have games playing right now. You know, you saw Boston and Pittsburgh have their little fiasco. Uh, but the Sharks still have a whole week off. So uh, this week's episode, there's not a whole lot of Shark stuff for us to talk about. We're not going to get into their vacations. We're not going to get into too much, really, in general, in regards to the Sharks. So um, we decided to bring on Jack Hahn. Again, he was on the show about four months ago, I want to say, about 16 episodes ago, we had him on uh, to talk Sharks, and so we brought him back on to kind of shed some insight and some just some, some knowledge on how he thinks the Sharks are going to be able to cope without Eric Carlson in the lineup, uh, because, you know, his loss is is huge for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, he's a significant driver of offense and I mean it's pretty obvious based on what we've seen so far with their production of him off the ice just how important he is to this team um, so as far as this episode goes uh, we're just gonna hop right into that right now of course as always uh, we're recording this on February 8th we, we did this interview with Jack as well uh, we're gonna be posting this on the 9th so um so yeah, we're recording this on February eighth. There's no real information um, that's that's relevant in regards to that, but um, let's just bring Jack on right now. Joining us for a second time this season on the podcast is a renowned hockey tactician and pro hockey coach. He just came out with another elite book called Hockey Tactics 2022, The Playbook, which covers the 5v5 scheme of every single NHL team. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Hahn. Welcome back to the podcast, Jack. How have things been since we last had you on? Well, uh, they've been pretty good for me. Like, how how have they been for the Sharks? <laughs> well, well they've just lost talking... Eric Carlson. So, yeah. hard, so maybe not so good. <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking from like a fan's perspective, if you see like where people thought they would be at this point at the beginning of the year as opposed to where they're at. I think things have been uh, better than expected is how I'd probably put it. But what does it say about a team that is on a 86-point pace and everybody's like, wow, we're really surprised. Man, what an awesome <laughs> what an awesome team. So. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Jack, uh, let's uh, dive right into your book, which is basically seven pages complete with pictures, uh, terrific pictures, into how the Sharks maximize and minimize Eric Carlson tactically. Uh, is that a fair way to describe that section without giving it away? 
So the the idea for, for behind the book is that I studied every single uh, NHL team and I basically did like a pre-scout of each team. And then as I worked toward the back of the book, um, I, I just felt like because NHL teams, they allow them to play similar. Um, I wanted to mix up the format a little bit and, sure. you know, the, the, the sharks are kind of in this retooling slash rebuilding period and tactically they're pretty standard, I would say. And, but, but then the fact that they have Eric Carlson, I, I thought was really interesting because he's a player who has a lot of very noticeable strength, but also a lot of very noticeable weaknesses. And I wanted to kind of use him as a case study for like, if San Jose's, really interested in maximizing uh, his strength and then also minimizing his flaws. Like how would I go about it? Right. So a lot of the things actually Carlson and the Sharks, they, they do right now, but then there's certain other things that uh, maybe it'd be a good idea for them to play around with. So, so that was the idea for that chapter. Whereas if you look at the most of the other NHL teams, it's actually how they play. Hmm. Okay. So this was more of like a, uh, your take on, you know, this is how the Sharks should be playing. They should, if they're going to pay Eric Carlson the money they're they're paying him, these are options to allow more optimized Eric Carlson play, essentially. Yeah, or if you have a player a, a little bit like Eric Carlson, who's maybe an offensive defenseman who's not so good defensively, here are ways to put him in situations where he can better leverage his strength. Okay, so this isn't their full system, essentially, because a lot of uh, people might look at this and see every single section is the exact same word. It's just says maximizing Carlson, maximizing Carlson. <laughs> this isn't what they're doing. And uh, one question I was talking to people about it, um, you know, not on the podcast. They're like, wouldn't this make the Sharks easier to either scout or play against if they seem so one dimensional around one player or one type of player? Um, per perhaps, but then uh, a lot of what tactics are is to create, a, a kind of a productive level of, of pre uh, predictability, right? Because okay. if you look at the way that a lot of the top players play, they run the same patterns again and again. And that's because those patterns maximize their strength and minimize their weakness. And like for me, it, it was a really good thought experiment because, okay, well, sure, Carlson's not going to be around forever, right? But then you got, you got Merkley who has a lot of the same flaws and uh, upsides as Carlson, right? Or, you know, you have Brent Burns, who, you know, also is a player with a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of gifts offensively in terms of how he skates and how he shoots the puck, but also, you know, might need a bit of help in, in certain other aspects of the game. So it, it, it's just, it, it's like, you know, Carlson's going to be here for a while because the contract is hard to move. And he's probably going to go through a couple of different iterations of the Sharks while he's here. So as the team changes, and, and I think the way that the Sharks play is very much in flux. Uh, you know, they, they played a certain way when Thornton and Marlowe and Pavelski were here, and they're transitioning towards something that fits maybe uh, their next core a little bit better. So, you know, the reason why I, I thought it'd be interesting to do this with the Sharks is because it's one of those teams where the, the, the personnel is in flux. So then you want to be aware of ways in which you can maximize your personnel, right? It, it's not mm -hmm. like if you're a coach of the Sharks, you're like, okay, this is my team. We're going we're gonna to have this core together for X number of years. It's not that, right? This is a team that could look very different six months from now.
And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, maximizing uh, Carlson, the last time you were here, you know, we talked about the virtues of uh, Jake Middleton and how they complement each other. Uh, do you think Middleton is sort of that uh, perfect partner for Carlson or would you envision uh, somebody else or another type of player? Or what would you add on to Jake Middleton to make him a perfect complement for a Carlson or a Ryan Merkley? So one of the things I talk about in in the Sharks chapter is how uh, Carlson is, you know, despite his reputation as a puck carrier, as a as a very explosive offensive player, he's actually not the kind of guy who likes to retrieve pucks and then immediately beat the first four checker with a carry. So whoever he plays with, he's actually, it's like they got to kind of work to service Carlson in terms of going back, retrieving pucks, sure. and then making a play to find Carlson in open ice. So Carlson is very much, he's more of the, that receiver than the passer. So, you know, if it, whether you're talking about Middleton or anybody else, essentially, but if you have a, a left-handed D to play with Carlson, you need a guy who's really good at defending the rush, which I think Jacob, Jacob Middleton is, but also a guy who can go back for pucks and maybe have a bit of escapability, which is, I think, an area that Middleton can, can still improve, right? He, he's never been kind of this high-octane offensive defenseman, but just to be able to kind of make little plays getting off the wall and then finding ways to get the puck to Carlson, like that would really help. Gotcha. And, and that would, uh, just for those of you who may be listening to this while also having the book, that would probably go towards like defensive zone breakout where you show Carlson passing the buck, uh, passing the puck, excuse me, behind the net over to the defensive partner and then immediately going up ice to help break out of the defensive zone. Correct. Yeah. And, and you kind of had a slip there passing the buck and, and that's, you're, you're looking to strategically allow Carlson to do that, whether it's yeah. on the breakout, whether it's defending the rush, whether it's D zone coverage, um, because, you know, again, Carlson's a very polarizing player and he's a very polarized player in terms of his skill set. So then as a coach, you're looking to maximize him. Uh, then sometimes you got to kind of bend your system to, to kind of fit him in there. Gotcha. So circling back to this tactic, right? So so this whole thought in general, do you think... It, so it's not a system with Bob, obviously. It's not the Bugner system that they've kind of enforced so far. It's almost forced because, like you said, the core of players is kind of going through a bit of a transition period. So the Sharks currently show pretty much a lack of skill with their puck movement through the three zones and getting effective controlled zone exits and, and entries as well. Unless so you it's think, Timo Meyer. <laughs> yeah, unless it's Timo Meyer, of course. So moving forward, you think – you're like suggesting this tactic specifically because one, you have this guy who's going to be here for a long time. And two, this is kind of his, this is where he excels. So let's maximize him where he is. Yeah, it's a bit of both. And and if you're a Sharks fan, if you're curious about what the team plays like now, I would kind of point you toward Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia is a team that plays very vertical. They play a lot, a lot of dump and chase. They put a lot of pucks on that, but they're just not very poised in transition with the puck. And I think actually, if you compare San Jose with Philadelphia, I think San Jose is playing much better hockey this year than Philadelphia is. It's just with the Flyers are kind of a mess. Whereas San Jose, like they, you know, they'll 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 dump and chase, they'll retrieve the puck. At least they get the puck back and they're able to make some plays with it. And then before Carlson got hurt, he was actually quite effective at 
you know, driving play and, and making offensive plays. So um, basically I think the Sharks are playing the kind of game that Philadelphia wished they were playing, which is kind of sad because, you know, the Sharks are, they're, they're not a contending team right now by any means, but, but that's the kind of comparison I can give you. Just what kind of luck is it that your book comes out and Carlson gets injured and he's out till mid-March? Well, it's, uh, what can I say? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, speaking of that, you know, how do you think the Sharks compensate now without Carlson for the next, you know, he's out till mid-March at least for the next month or so? You know, as you pointed out in your book, and I just had an article come out on this today, the Sharks rely on Carlson very heavily on zone exits and transition. You know, it's actually really staggering the numbers. Um, per Sport Logic, Carlson averages about 16 zone exits per 60 minutes at five on five. No other shark except for Ryan Merkley averages more than five per 60. And so, again, yeah, how do the sharks compensate now without an Eric Carlson? What, what, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, like how, how's Merkley doing? Like, is he getting a lot of reps? Is he getting some ice time or? No, he's not getting uh, too many reps. He's just been, been sat the last couple of games. Uh, when he does play, maybe about 16 minutes a night, you know, as many defensive flaws as Eric Carlson has, um, you know, Ryan Merkley probably has double or triple of them. So, you know, I don't think the Sharks are, at least at this point, they're not com- comfortable playing uh, playing him yet. Uh, but in terms of just sort of the puck moving, it is there with, with the Merkley, but it's the, you know, as always with him, it's the other stuff. I mean, there's a few ways you can get around it. None of them are particularly, I would say, attractive. Uh, the first is I'm sure you're going to see Brent Burns taking some more risks just because there's really sure. nobody else remotely capable of creating things with the puck uh, from the back end. So you, you're going to see that. I don't know how successful he is going to be doing that at this point. Um, I mean, you know, I I, I still like his, his touch with the puck, but it's just – you know, is he going to have to do that and and still play 25, 27 minutes a game like that? That'll be difficult for anybody. Right? And especially for a guy who's slowing down and who's kind of on the back line of his career. The other way to do it is to have guys like Hurdle or Meyer swing back and almost play like a third defenseman and then carry the puck all the way mm-hmm. up ice, um, which a lot of players, they actually prefer to do it that way. Like Patrick Kane likes to swing back, Matt Barzell, Nate McKinnon, Willem Nylander. So a lot of these good dynamic puck carriers they actually they like to do that um certainly i think timo meyer like that's that's a good fit for his game but once again like what do you do when he's not on the ice right so it's the kind of thing that's really difficult to replace and you know before this conversation you you asked me to talk about the power play today and and i guess you know there's really no way that the sharks can just plug a player in or or shift the player around and and replace Carlson's value five on five, but on the power play, um, you know, like I've watched all of their power play shifts in the past three games and, and I do see interesting things. Okay. Well, let's uh, get, get to that at the, at the, at the end there. So uh, let's uh, stick with uh, the, the Burns actually. I'm very interested in what you just said about Burns. And, you know, I was wondering, uh, you know, the same way that the Sharks, you know, plan around Carlson, uh, do you see them plan in some of the same ways around Burns and, you know, whatever skills uh, Brent Burns still brings to the table? So, you, like, you would know this way better than I do, but mm-hmm. I, I just feel like the Sharks are actually 
they're planning less around Burns than they used to in the sense that like, you know, we, we used to see him as the, the one-timer threat on the power play or the guy that, you know, especially Thornton, like Thornton will really look for Burns. Whereas now Burns, he plays less like a fourth forward and more just like a, a, a normal defenseman. He'd stay back a little bit more and he's a little bit less uh, fearless in terms of how he jumps into the play. Like he picks his spots or he's generally a little bit more cautious. Um, and, and it seems like if you look at his usage, when Carlson's in the lineup, Burns is actually the more, like more of a shutdown D and then Carlson's more of the offensive D, which, um, like, I'm curious, like how, how he feels about that. Like, do you ever talk to him about like the role that he's playing or uh, adjusting to that role? Cause, cause, cause it's as a player, like, you know, he's 36 years old. So the, the biggest challenge uh, as a D when you're getting older is you, you just, you don't have that motor anymore, right? Like, especially if you're playing a game like Burns in, in his prime, like he's first up ice and then he's first back because he's the, he's the defenseman. And I think it takes a, a special kind of athlete with a special level of conditioning, but also of willpower to, to sustain that. Like the best example is Mark Giordano, like Mark Giordano, he's what, like 38 now, but you know, when he was 35, 36, playing big minutes for Calgary, like he's one of the rare guys who can sustain that at that age. And, um, you know, like, like, but he's like a generational player in that perspective. So I don't really expect that out of many others. Right. And to answer your question about uh, Brent Burns, uh, the one thing that Brent Burns, a hockey player, uh, dislikes talking about more than anything is hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's actually a really good article uh, uh, written around, I think, the well, a few years ago by uh, Alex Pruitt. Uh, I think it's a Sports Illustrated article where he tries to get Brent Burns to talk about his shot. And that's not something that, you know, Brent wants to give away. And so uh, talking to Brent Burns sort of about the decline in his game is sort of, you know, you're not going to get much, uh, much from him. Uh, I'm going to guess that in terms of just his usage, because that's something that, yeah, for sure we've seen in terms of his uh, zone starts. And also, too, actually one of the, the effects of all that is uh, just how, how little he shoots these days compared to what we're used to, right? Like um, in sort of uh, his, uh, his prime under Peter DeBoer in 2017-18, I think he was averaging uh, 22 shot attempts per 60 at five on five. It's staggering. That's like, you know, accumulatively, that's like hundreds more shot attempts than, than, than whoever was second, which I think was Dougie Hamilton back then. Uh, nowadays he's averaging about 11 shot attempts per 60. So yeah, it really does speak to kind of a guy, like you said, who is maybe more of just a a defenseman these days, uh, instead of sort of a, a Rover. And I wonder if, uh, it could be systemic, but also can be sort of a concession, right. To, uh, to Burns sort of advancing age that maybe, you know, and, and, and spurts, he can get around pretty well, obviously. And he still plays, you know, 25 minutes a night when Carlson is there and 28 you know, plus when Carlson isn't there. So, you know, he can, he can still, uh, you know, play obviously, but obviously uh, also too, you know, just in little ways, a guy that maybe is slowing down. And so maybe that's what that's, maybe that's how they're planning around him in that way. Um, And so, yeah, but anyway, to find, yeah, again, to answer that question. uh, Yeah. Burns is the last guy who will answer these, these, these questions about his his usage. And and you know what, like, like we're talking about him, like, you know, 36 is quite old by yep. NHL standards. Like, yeah. you know, there's that joke of like, 
you know, anytime you're past 30, it's like you're, you're in the geriatrics unit, but to play as much as he does and to play his style of game at this age, like it's, you know, like we've certainly seen the best of him, but, but it's still impressive that he's still around. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm still playing. I mean, he's the Sharks number one defenseman. They're not a great team, but you know, they're, better than they were last year. You know, they're an average team. And so to be a number one defenseman on an average team uh, at 36 years old, that's, that's actually pretty, pretty impressive. Actually, if you, if you, if you, you know, look at it, you know, in a, in a big picture and not think about his contract or what people expected of the sharks, you know, over the last few years, you know, with all the success they've had, but uh, anyway, uh, Jack, uh, just uh, uh, wondering uh, before we get uh, to a couple other things here, uh, just uh, generally, uh, just uh, when you have watched San Jose this year, you know, have you noticed anything else about them that you want to share with us? So one player that that especially on the power play, I find it is quite nifty is uh, Jonathan Dolan. Yep. Yeah. And and it's funny because last year when he was in uh, the second Swedish league in the, the Alsvenskan, I actually watched him quite a bit because uh, one of the players I worked with last season, he he played against Dahlin in the playoffs. And Dahlin was obviously, you know, a dominant player in the, in the second league in Sweden. And I at the start of the season, I was really skeptical about his ability to translate his talents to, to the NHL yep, because I was too. Um, basically he, he's not very fast and also he's kind of soft. By NHL standards, you know, not a player who likes physical contact, not a player who's especially resilient when you pressure him. So I was really impressed with, you know, his production. He's got a very good shot. He's a very good passer. He's really good at finding these little area passes. So if you put him uh, with a skill player like a hurdle or a Meyer, like he's a guy that can either feed them or can shoot, can catch and, and shoot and finish as well. So um so he he was a player that that was actually pleasantly surprised about yeah yeah he's uh shown to i think ability to kind of uh get his shot off from weird positions just kind of get the puck in his area and he can kind of get it get it on net and um yeah he's he's been uh he's been a legit uh a plus surprise for the sharks so from what you've seen would you say that you know he is sort of for real that he's a guy that uh, maybe the Sharks, you know, he might be a bit one-dimensional, like you said. He's, you know, kind of strictly good in this area. But, you know, he's a guy, just 23, too, that the Sharks maybe can uh, build around in some ways in the years to come, at least as sort of a, a solid secondary scorer. Um, I mean, you, you can certainly um, look at it that way. Or you can say, here's a player that you can – trade to a contending team looking to kind of get over the hump and then you can get maybe some young assets out of that but certainly a player that i think they got at a discount right Uh, a player who with manageable term and cap hit that they can flip or that they can keep so um it's uh overall i think it's it's a nice bit of business the sharks did to get them and then now they have some options at when it comes to what to do with this player the Sharks have had some facility in that area recently. You know, we talk about Jonathan Dolan, who uh, they acquired for Linus Carlson, uh, you know, kind of a, a mid-range prospect back then. Uh, Alexander Barabanov, who they acquired for, you know, Auntie freaking Suomela. <laughs> and uh, Rudolph Balzers, who they picked off of waivers. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so 
you know, with Carlson not around, with Burns a little bit more cautious than he used to be, like here's an opportunity for a lot of these like uh, offensive-minded uh, wingers, especially to do more of to touch the puck more in transition, and then mm-hmm. that gets their confidence going. Uh, on this team, they can get onto a power play unit, and then so then you you can keep the ones that fit the best with their team, and then you can flip the rest for assets that you can use. And I wanted to also ask you about something that is uh, maybe unusual tactically about the Sharks. Uh, the last time we had you on, you talked about the Sharks and their 2-1-2 forecheck, which is, you know, not necessarily the norm league-wide. You know, usually it's a 1-2-2. You know, how unusual is it? And do you think it's the best forecheck for the Sharks and their personnel? You know, SportLogic has them as kind of a below-average team in terms of forecheck chances. So it doesn't appear to be like a huge boon for them offensively. Um, so it's, uh, this is something that you understand better when you buy my ebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, but basically, uh, a one, two, two is it's a more passive forecheck, but it's, it's a forecheck that you can use if you're consistently carrying the puck in because you got one player out front. And then if he turns it over or if he he chips it in, he's naturally the F1. Whereas if you play more of a two, one, two, that's the kind of forecheck that you're using, uh, when you're dumping the puck in. And and historically, the Sharks have been essentially a dump and chase team, even going back to the years when you know they were President Trophy contenders. And, and that's that, that's an element of their game that's kind of been a holdover, right? Whereas if you look at the LA Kings, they've always been a one-two-two team, even though they, they also dump and chase. So it, it's you know teams tend to play a certain way over time, but once again, like this is an area of the game that. Um, they can evolve as their personnel changes. So at, at this point, uh, you know, the fact that they're a below average forecheck team, I, I think it speaks more to their personnel than to the tactic itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and certainly I think they have a lot of players who want to carry the puck in and who, you know, for whether it's Meyer or Hurdle or even Donald at times, like they can do it effectively. Um I mean, I mean, overall, the Sharks—they're an average to below average team in in most aspects, right? So I think that just mirrors it. And just a question from me involving that forecheck style: um, If you were the coach, hypothetically, would you implement a different forecheck style, or do you think the current forecheck they're running right now is probably the most optimal for them, given their personnel, like you said? I mean, for, for me, the like for a team that it, it depends what you're going after because I think for this team that's kind of looking for maybe a different identity or that's in flux, you're essentially looking for your players to touch the puck often and to be able to express their style of play, right? Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking in hockey, it's better to carry the puck in or to pass it in as opposed to dump it in and then try to work hard and get it back again. Right. So gotcha. for a player like, you know, Dalin or Meyer or Hurdle or, you know, even Logan Couture, like like I'm looking for these players to try to make some plays because it might not matter this year if we're not going to the playoffs. But if we're looking to get back to the playoffs soon, they're going to need to make some plays. Hey, we want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. 
Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, when you can bet from almost a third of the country. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests for Super Bowl 56. It's simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code THPN, get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or over, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. And so sort of the now let's get to the big question. You kind of alluded to it and, you know, sort of the the reason why I, I wanted to have you on here, Jack, besides, you know, promoting your uh, terrific book, you know, your imaginative hockey mind, your former pro coach, you know, I wonder the Sharks, you know, they're offensively challenged, uh, but they're doing some good things defensively this year. You know, they want to make a push for the playoffs. They're sort of in, in the range. And so they need to figure out how to squeeze out a few more goals without compromising their defensive structure. That's their big challenge. And the obvious place for any team to do that is on the power play, but the sharks are just 21st in the league at 18.8%. And so do you have any ideas on how to improve it, especially without Carlson uh, out or with with Carlson out until mid-March and any ideas that don't include putting Brent Burns in front of the net because he's not going there. (laughs) So, so the first thing is, is we talk about just generally setting some expectations because, sure. as I mentioned before, for me, the Sharks are they're an average to below average team. So if you're saying that they're 21st in the league in the, on the power play, for me, like certainly it, I'm sure it can be higher, but they're, it's not like they're, they're underachieving like crazy. Sure. Right? So maybe there's some incremental things that you can do. Uh, but with that personnel, I think it's, you know, that's the kind of neighborhood that we're expecting. With that being said, like I, I, um, I went back and watched their three most recent, uh, uh, at least three of their three of their recent games, and the first thing I notice is, um, you know, if, if you pay attention to uh, advanced stats or just you know shot metrics, right? Mm-hmm. One of the one of the predictors of power play performance is shot rate and then shot quality. So right. how much expected goals you're able to generate and uh, from that point of view, the Sharks, they're below average, right? And the easiest way to, uh, let me correct myself, not the easiest, but the simplest way to improve uh, your power play, whether it's shot rate, whether it's expected goals, is to be more effective at gaining the offensive zone and setting up. Mm-hmm. So we know that on the first uh, face-off of every minor penalty, you have an ozone face-off. So you want to try to win that face-off. But if you're not able to win that face-off and the other team clears the puck, now you got to get back, run your power play breakout, and then hope to enter and then either 
uh, create a chance off the rush or set up and then run your end zone plays. And this is one area that I thought the Sharks really struggled in, which is gaining the zone and then setting up on the power play. So regardless of what kind of end zone system that they want to, or, or end zone schemes or set plays that they want to run, or regardless of, you know, who's the shooter and who's the primary pass or whatever, first they got to get up ice, get through the blue line and then set up. Mm-hmm. And this is an area that, uh, you know, recently against Carolina and against Tampa Bay, they had a lot of trouble setting up. Okay. And if, um, you know, if, if, if you're if you're somebody that really looks for these little tactical ta- tactical nuances, sorry, uh, the Sharks run two different power play breakouts. Like many other NHL teams, they have a double drop, and then they have uh, just kind of like a three high where the defenseman passes the like a stretch pass to the forward. Sure. So so there's mm-hmm. no drop. Uh, they're both pretty bad. Okay, so <laughs> let uh, let me talk to you about the first one, which is. You can call it a five back uh, because there's no drop. It's basically it looks like a five on five breakout where mm-hmm. the forwards come back a little bit, but then they stretch up ice, and then uh, usually it's Brent Burns carrying the puck and he's stretch passing to the forward. So the sure. problem with that one is uh, Brent Burns is he he's kind of hesitant to carry the puck himself, and he wants to make a stretch pass up ice, except inevitably the pass receiver is very wide. He's next to the boards. Generally that's Barabanov. He catches that puck. Uh, maybe it's on his backhand. He's next to the boards. He's actually right away into a one-on-two situation against two penalty killers at the line. So very easy for him to get stopped. And then he has to dump it in. And then uh, generally speaking, the Sharks have a hard time setting up and recovering that dump in. Okay. So the five back is pretty bad because uh, you're trying to force a puck up the boards and whether it's five on five or five on four, that's not going to work. The double drop is also pretty bad because um, how they run it is Burns again, picks up the puck from behind the net. He skates up the middle and then there's two forwards that's following him side by side. And then Burns drops it to one of them. And the, the issue there is, is that uh, first of all, um, the pace at which to execute is not, it's, it's not, uh, extraordinarily high, you know, they, they could probably be going a little bit faster because the faster you go, it's almost like you, you got a butter knife that you've warmed up a little bit. So the, if that knife is a little bit warm, it cuts through the butter fa- easier. Right. And so it's the same principle. The faster you execute, the better you're able to knife through the offensive zone. Uh, and, and they're not too great at that. And the second thing is, is if I find on the double drop, the reason why you run a double drop is because you have two players who can gain the zone. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they went, when they run the double drop, I feel like generally it's Timo Meyer that's going to get the puck. So you have one fewer person at the line, one fewer person that's going to forecheck. And uh, it just makes it a little bit more predictable. You know, you don't have that kind of dual threat. Let's say Matthews and Marner dropping back. Right? Um, so, you know, the biggest thing is probably the power play breakout that, they can improve because I actually like what they're trying to do in zone. Once they get set up Um, a lot of teams, like if if you think about the Washington capitals, like on their one, three, one power play, everybody's got a specific spot. Whereas with San Jose, they don't really have spots. What they do is they have players rotating up in the zone. So instead of a one, three, one, it almost looks like a one, one, three, 
with Burns in the middle up top, but then the two forwards swinging up to join him and then attacking downhill, right? And uh, what that does is uh, they don't they don't shoot a lot of one timers because you got lefties on the left and righties on the right generally, um, but you get a lot of these uncontested mid range shots that can go in. Like I remember Timo Meyer scoring a couple on the power play from the left side, just using his wrist shot to pick a mm. corner. And when you run those kind of plays, there, there's three factors. First of all, you got to have good movement. So you got players coming up in the zone and working downhill. Second is obviously you need some shooters that are, are that have good wrist shots, right? Because you're not shooting one timers, you're shooting wrist shots. And then third is your net firm presence has got to be good. So you really need to have a net front person getting into the goalie's eyes and maybe, you know, forcing the goalie to open up just a bit of space that a Meyer or a Hurdle or a Dahlin or a Kevin LeBanc can squeeze a puck through. And, and I actually don't mind that for, for this team because they're more of a shoot and retrieve team. They have, I would say, a pretty good shot mentality once they're set up. And once again, the biggest issue is just finding ways to set up and maybe occasionally attack off the rush right away uh, because once they're in the zone, I actually think they're they're quite tenacious and they're able to shoot and retrieve pretty effectively. So, you know, going back to the double drop, you know, years past, you know, before they started relying on, on Timo Meyer to basically carry the puck, you know, everywhere, which they do now, you know, Thomas Hurdle was actually sort of their primary drop option, uh, you know, a couple of years, uh, if we go back to a couple of years. So, you know, could, could, could their drop pass be more effective if you have both Hurdle and Meyer coming up from behind? And so you have two guys who are, you know, maybe both capable threats so the other team can't kind of, you know, hone in on one guy. Um, sure. I mean, you can certainly do it that way. The, the problem is, is that they're both left-handed. Okay. And generally speaking, the, the, the most effective double drop, you got a righty and a lefty mm-hmm. so that whoever gets the drop is always on their forehand. Whereas, um, I'm trying to think here, like the player was on the left, like he's fine, but the player on the right, if he gets the drop on his forehand side, it's difficult for him to make that pass across and keep his speed. So that's the challenge. And I would, I would almost try a single drop because if mm-hmm. the other team knows that the puck is going to Meyer or Hurdle anyway, then just have an extra guy at the line in case you got a forecheck or mm-hmm. in case you got a, um, you know, to keep their the penalty killer busy. Like if That's they what go, to, I think Colorado does with McKinnon, right? I mean, yes, no, he's getting <laughs> no yes. one's going to stop him anyway, so they just have one guy back, right? Yeah, so yeah, and McKinnon, yeah, it's okay, yeah. So, so that's a way to do it because if, you know, potentially you could have Rantanen, let's say, uh, or Kadri be on the double drop, but like the puck is going to McKinnon anyway, and he's right. way better at it than any of the other guys. Is Meyer so, good enough though for that though? I think so because for him, like I think he's most effective when he's just he knows where he's going and he's just you know running through the wall. Sure, right? like you're you're not. You're actually simplifying his life because instead of thinking, okay, should I pass this over to Hurdle? Uh, now he's just thinking, okay, I got this one, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. You also mentioned a, a you know a, a great subtlety in terms of uh, you know a lot of uh, Sharks fans have bemoaned the Sharks' lack of right-handed uh, shooting forwards over the years, and and this this is a case where you mentioned that. Uh, that yeah, that actually that that is sort of a um, a problem on a team. I think the Sharks right now their only significant right-handed forward is Kevin LeBanc, who's 
you know, not playing. He's hurt. And also, too, a bank, in the, at least in years past, hasn't been a guy that they've really relied on in terms of uh, uh, zone entries on the power play. So maybe even when he's healthy, he may not be a guy that they uh, that they use. But um, but yeah, uh, well, it sounds like, though, the Sharks at power play, though, is uh, in, in trouble. There's not a, a whole lot that they can do to improve it. But it is nice to hear that at least when they gained a zone that they are doing some good things there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's also like I would say the benefit with with that power play is in zone. It's relatively easy to teach because the movement is pretty predictable. You're not really looking for any fancy kind of seam passes, or you, you're not trying to work sure. it into the bumper position. It's just you know you're rolling up, you're attacking downhill, you're getting uh, into the goalie's eyes, and then you're just shooting it. So for a team that for me has a lot of other issues, more, more notably their five and five play, mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing where you know, you're going to click at maybe 18, 20%. It's not going to be much more than that, but um, it, it does seem to fit that they fit the way they want to play, which is shoot and retrieve and try to create off that chaos. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, the Sharks entered the season, you know, wanting a kind of a, they, they talked about a shot mentality, kind of a volume of shots, but that's sort of, kind of the attitude of a in my mind it was the attitude of a team that wasn't going to be more than average on a power play because they weren't looking for you know the one timers the slam but they just didn't have the ability for that so they were just hoping to shoot it a lot and hope some stuff goes in <laughs> kind of um but you know it, it is an interesting point though that you bring up though about the the the, the one man drop i want i've never seen the sharks do that um and so that would be a very a creative thing for them to try with the team omeyer who is you know having sort of a uh, a kind of a season where it makes you think that maybe he can do something like that. Yeah. I mean, for, like for me, like that's the first place that I would look. And I think it kind of reflects the overall theme of what we've been talking about. Right. So we, we discuss maximizing Carlson through all possible tactics on five on five, because the sharks have this inability to correctly transition out of some zones, like their puck management and their puck movement in and out of these zones seems to be bad. And it's showing on the power play as well. Why not? If you're going to sell out, sell out to the guy that you know is your best puck carrier on the power play. Yep. Yeah. And and I mean, if, if you look at teams across the league, like the ones with good power plays is because their set plays feed into their best players. Yeah. There we go. Hopefully, uh, Sharks are listening to this podcast right now, and they'll be uh, taking some notes down, possibly improving that uh, that bottom ten power play that they're. Jack, if, if the Sharks start doing that with Timo Meyer, I'm going to make sure that make sure that Bob Bugner, John McClain, that they've at least at least bought a copy of your book. At the very least, that's the least that they owe you. <laughs> they they can buy me a beer and a pound of chicken wings, maybe two pounds. I like chicken go. wings. <laughs> And speaking of your book, Jack, since we're kind of getting towards the end here, why don't you tell the folks where they can go to actually buy the book that we've talked about so feverishly throughout this podcast? Uh, throughout this podcast. So, I mean, you, you can always Google it. It's uh, Hockey Tactics 2022. So uh, pr- pretty easy to find on Google. Uh, if you want to follow my work, then the best place is still Twitter, J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. Uh, you can sign up for my free news- newsletter. I also have a premium version of the newsletter for those who work in the industry. They want something that's a little bit more in depth. But um, you know, if you just want free content, if you're a fan that wants to learn more about the game, then follow me on Twitter. Uh, you're going to get value. Can confirm. I have yep, gotten absolutely. significant value here. So, and one thing personally for me, Jack, uh, something of value that I loved until the uh, the new year 
was your uh, resurrection of the Quebec Nordiques franchise that you were doing on uh, NHL, uh, the video game, actually. So I want to know what happened to that because I was following along pretty closely to that Twitter feed there and that Twitter thread, and it kind of abruptly ended around the holidays. Did they move to Colorado? Get... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing is, uh, I, I got COVID right before Christmas, so that was a way for me to kill some time, and then it became a time sink, and, and I just didn't feel like doing it anymore because, <laughs> oh, okay. you know, I, I could either write a book or do, or do on-ice coaching or do consulting or do anything a variety of lucrative, or you can play uh, video games to appease or them. I can play video games yeah. and, and and play as a Quebec Nordiques and actually not even play the game and just look at a bunch of spreadsheets to see who I want to draft. So, um, I like like what when I get into that kind of a mindset, I it kind of lasts three four days for me, but then after I just completely lose interest because, like, I do play a lot of NHL, but I I play online. Like, I enjoy playing the game. I don't enjoy so much like uh, managing hurt egos because I got like three first lines and people are not happy they're not playing enough that kind of thing <laughs> okay okay i was just checking to make sure i figured you had something significantly more important going on but i was just asking out of curiosity for myself there at the end though so <laughs> every like like for for, for me everything's more important than, than that like that that's, that's probably acceptable. the biggest waste of time that that i could do yeah that kids don't waste your time playing video games go no, actually no, no, play no. hockey <laughs> No, look, if you're playing video games, play video games. Don't just stream like you looking at spreadsheets because that, that's essentially what it is when you're preparing for like an NHL 22 draft. You're just looking through a bunch of spreadsheets. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, Jack. Well, unless there's anything else that you have for the folks to, uh, you know, if you have anything to plug for us or anything coming down the pipe that maybe you want to give some insider information to, feel free to give yourself that shout out. You already gave your uh, your Twitter handle, so make sure you, uh, folks go follow him on Twitter. But is there anything else you got for us? Oh, actually, I forgot to bring it up. Shang, I'll, uh, I'll send you a promo code so that all of your listeners can get a, a few bucks off uh, the, that Hockey Tactics 2022. Oh, perfect. E yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, man. And yeah, again, uh, guys, uh, uh, we've had Jack on before. You know, I've talked with him for a lot of articles. Uh, the, any any money I've ever spent on a Jack Hahn book has been well, well worth it. So if you haven't bought one yet, you know, he has Hockey Tactics 2020, right? A 2021 version, uh, a version with old school hockey. Uh, I've bought all of those books and they're all well worth it. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, guys, uh, really happy to talk hockey with you. I, I don't, I don't watch the Sharks a ton because of the time difference. But you know, every time I I talk with you guys, it it forces me to watch the Sharks. So so at least I. I, I I'm sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, the next game coming up is probably going to be one of the more exciting games to watch against uh, the Edmonton Oilers on Valentine's Day. So it's it's going to be a a pretty good one. There's it's going to. It's going to be nice. Let's just say that. Yeah. So. And you get to watch uh, Timo Meyer, which I think is worth the price of admission uh, this year. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> All right, Jack. Well, thanks again for hopping on with us. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, make sure everyone goes subscribe to your newsletter. Uh, do premium if you want to. And of course, make sure uh, Shang will be releasing with this episode. We'll be releasing that promo code for that book. So thanks again, Jack, for coming on and uh, have a great rest of your night. All right. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. And a big thank you to Jack again for taking time out of his day to talk sharks with us, especially him being on that East Coast type of time zone, that Eastern time 
to uh, essentially just be able to, to spend that time with us and talk all things sharks, to talk about different forecheck styles, um, the sharks, just in-depth conversation about the sharks. It's great stuff. Make sure you guys go use that promo code um, that we talked about. The promo code is SHANG5. Uh, to get $5 off of Hockey Tactics 2022. It's an amazing book, uh, not just from a Sharks perspective, just from a hockey perspective. So, again, huge thank you uh, to Jack for coming on. And uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this week's episode, folks. A bit of a different one this week. Um, expect us to be back in full force next week with you know after Valentine's Day, after the Sharks and the Oilers have their... Uh, their date night on Valentine's Day. But uh, until then, Sharks fans and San Jose Hockey Now podcast listeners, thank you again so much for all the support. Make sure you all stay safe and stay hydrated. Mm -hmm.